wonderful to have you here tonight and all of you joining us. So is your glass half full or half empty? And they say that the, an optimist says it's, it's half full, pessimist says it's half empty, but uh, someone observed that a scientist says it's always full. It's half full of air, half full of water, <laughs> so it's always full. So it's all in how you look at it, isn't it? All right, it's time to get it over to Dr. John for the Technology Spotlight. Have you ever wondered how flies can get out of the way so fast? It's like they see everything in slow motion. You know, they probably see me, but how do they do that? Well, some researchers at the University of Zurich have developed a new obstacle avoidance system for their drone. In fact, it can detect things incoming at one-tenth the time of a normal obstacle avoidance system. That's pretty amazing, and it makes a huge difference. To test out their system, they decided to play a game of dodgeball. Check this out. You can see how every time the ball comes towards the drone, it sees the ball coming and it gets out of the way. It's pretty amazing that it can do that so well. In fact, it was able to get out of the way 90% of the time, which is pretty good. That poor guy throwing the ball, it's hard to lose. But how do they do it? A normal obstacle avoidance system uses a camera, and so does their system. But they used a special kind of camera called an event camera. Now, in order to detect an obstacle incoming in video footage, you have to look at the footage and figure out what's an obstacle and whether it's going to hit you or not. And on a normal camera, you get all of the data for a single frame. And you'll often get a frame 30 times a second, for example. It's a lot of data. And remember, in each frame, it's a picture. And in that picture, it's got all these little teeny dots that make up the picture. Those are called pixels. And those pixels resemble you know, how bright the light was and what color it was. And they're coming from the little sensor inside of the camera. Inside of every camera, there are an arrays of these light sensors for the pixels. And they're able to detect the incoming light and then convert that into data. Well, that's a lot of data for the computer on the drone to look at and figure out whether an obstacle is coming or not. And that's why it can take 20 to 40 milliseconds normally to process that frame and figure out if it's an obstacle and which way it's coming and which way do we need to move. And you're thinking 40 milliseconds is pretty fast. That's like uh, 400 of a second. But on the other hand, that's not very much time when you only have about 500 or 600 of a second to get out of the way, right? And so this new system can do that same thing in 3.5 milliseconds. That's three thousandths of a second, much, much faster. It's pretty impressive. Uh, so let's look at how an event camera works and why it helps them so much. If you look here, you can see at the top, it's showing kind of what a standard camera is. And imagine this circle with the black dot spinning around. And each one of those images across the top are a frame. And so the camera's capturing all these different frames, and each one of those frames is the same amount of data. It's got a whole bunch of pixels. And you'll notice how in each frame that black dot moves. It's in a different spot. Uh, but 
it's the same amount of data. If you look down below, you can see the event camera output. And instead of capturing the full frame, it only captures the pixels that changed. It's much less data. See that black dot moving around? It goes to a different spot on the screen, and so those pixels change. But the rest of the frame stayed exactly the same. So these researchers wrote an algorithm using an event camera that only looks at what's changing. Now, if you look at this picture, you can see the black and white image is the full frame. And then the next frame over there, see B, it's got the red and the blue. That's showing what pixels changed. And then they process that some more. You can see down in D and E, they're looking at what pixels were changing differently than the surrounding background. And so they isolated just the object that was moving that they wanted to look at. And finally in F, that's all they're looking at. And so they're using much less data processing to accomplish the same goal. And that's why they can do it in one-tenth the time. The neat part is this is actually a lot more like how our eyes work. In fact, another name for an event camera is a neuromorphic camera because it kind of mimics the way that our eyes and our brain works. Pretty neat stuff, isn't it? Well, now that we kind of understand it, let's take a look one more time at the dodgeball game. You can see up in the corner, it's showing what the um, event camera sees. Here it is in slow motion. There's the ball and the camera zooms out of the way. Perfect. Well, I guess the drones win again, don't they? And that's all the tech we have the time for. And now it's time for Breakthroughs in Science with Tobias. Well, tonight I'm really excited about the breakthrough because it's something that's going to blow your mind. I said it like that for more effect. <laughs> we could have tried others. It's going to blow your mind. <laughs> But this is really amazing, and it's something that, it's a breakthrough that's still being broken through. We're still discovering more, but I guess you could say that about any field of science. Uh, we're finding out more and more things. But we're talking about some numbers, some math. Some of you, when you hear it's math, might go, oh, math. Why do we need math? Well, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to hopefully get you pretty excited about math and how magical it can be. So we're talking about a set of numbers. And when, when we talk about these numbers, we're talking about a, a, a string of numbers starting with one. And this is something that someone named Leonardo Fibonacci noticed in 1202. Now he wasn't the first one to notice this, but he was really the first one to document it and really put it into something and put it out as a documented um, observation that he had made. And basically, and Fibonacci, you're probably starting, you know, the Fibonacci sequence. Well, if we look at these numbers here, we can see one, one, two. We can see all these numbers. What's happening here? Well, if you take the first number and then add, and it, you can imagine a zero before that first one, add the next number to it, then you'll get the following number. So one plus one is two. 2 plus 1 is 3, 3 plus 2 is 5, 5 plus 3 is 8, and so on. Every number 
Next in the line is the sum of the previous two. And why is this a big deal? I mean, some numbers, when you add them up, make other numbers. Uh, that's not a real big breakthrough, it seems. Well, he noticed that there seemed to be a pattern that in nature, they seemed to follow these numbers in a way. So if, if we think about uh, flowers, the number of petals on it, if you go around and start counting petals on flowers, um, chances are you're going to count to a number that follows that Fibonacci sequence. So it's going to be one of those numbers. It's probably going to be like 3, 5, 8, 13, even 21 on those. Starfish, lots of creatures follow. They have five uh, legs. If you look at this pine cone, this is interesting. The pine cone has these spirals coming off of it in rows that are spiraled. Well, if you count any pine cone spiral rows, you will get either 13, 8, or 21. You'll get one of the Fibonacci numbers. And this is true in how leaves grow on trees. So we're starting to see pattern. I mean, if you take a banana, the, the parts of a banana are three sections. In an apple, there's five sections. They're all Fibonacci numbers. And he started to make a connection there. And then the plot thickened. Um, they noticed other things. So if we go back to the line of numbers, the Fibonacci numbers, and if we look at these, if we take any two of these numbers by each other, so take a number like 8, and divide by the number right before it. So 8 divided by 5, you'll, obviously you'll get a number, but you'll get the same number with any of these numbers and the one right before it. You'll get 1.6, roughly. And as we, it's actually a decimal, but 1.6. And the Greeks noticed this, and they called it phi. This is the ratio between these special numbers. Is They, call, they called it phi. Uh, it's also known as the golden ratio, 1.6. So each of these numbers in the sequence have a ratio of 1.6. Why is that special? Well, if we think about it from the point of view of like square. So let's take each of these numbers and let's make a square. Let's square them. Okay, so let's start with one. So here is our one square, one by one. All right, now we're going to take the next one on that Fibonacci line, which was one. So now we have two little ones. And then we're going to take a two squared and put it beside it. Now we have three squares here, but look, there's a rectangle. Okay, now what's next after two is three squared. We put a three-sided square, or three-sided, three ones, three ones. And we go up to five, we go up to eight, 13, 21. Now look at this, every time we added another square, it, held a, it created a rectangle. Well, each of these rectangles had the same ratio, 1.6 where if you took that top side and divided it by, well, took the top side and divided it by the left side or you know, the up and down, height times the width, times <laughs> height divided by the width, you'd get 1.6. Now wait, we're not done. So we're gonna draw a little arch in each square from one corner to the farther corner. Okay, so like this. So we've drawn a line arching from one corner to the next in each of these squares and we get this spiral, okay? And if we start looking at things in nature, we start seeing not only the spiral, but we start seeing the ratio of 1.6. So if you think about um, the way things grow, like that pine cone, if you notice, all the seeds of the pine cone are coming out from the center in spirals. And a really good example is a sunflower. So if you look at a sunflower, not only are these coming out in these spirals that follow that, but if you counted each of those spirals, you're probably going to count to 21 
or 55, one of these Fibonacci numbers. And this can be found all over the place in nature. And uh, you know, plants like in the desert that have these kind of spirals, they all focus the water they catch. It's the most efficient way for them to focus the water to the center of the plant. And this, this goes, I mean, so this is getting pretty interesting where the spirals, we can, we can see it all over the place. If you take, they've actually captured waves that are coming down about to break and they've been able to calculate points on the wave and the points line up to one, one, two, three, five, eight, thirteen, and it keeps growing with the Fibonacci sequence. But if we step back, okay, that's, that's, that's interesting. If we step back and look at something like the galaxy, if you look at galaxies, they are following the same pattern. Hurricanes, they are also following the same pattern. Well, there's something else that's following this pattern. And we've noticed, we've taken, some, some mathematicians have taken these numbers, these ratios, and looked at designs. So designs of buildings, architecture. If you look up at the top there, you can see there's a strip, a space, and then a, a thinner space underneath it. So we have a 1 to a 1.6 spacing. Of course, we have to talk about Leonardo da Vinci, who used this. I mean, if you go study his paintings, he's using this. And this is just one example where they have the spiral on it, but there are many versions of the Mona Lisa. And some believe this is one of the reasons the Mona Lisa looks so appealing. A lot of people say it's the best looking face ever painted. Using, you can draw those proportional, they call it the golden rectangle, where one side is one, one side is 1.6. And we can find, it's, it's, it's pretty spooky because you can find this in music, in Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. You can find some of the timing tempo following the Fibonacci sequence. Did he know about it? Do all the people that have used it in architecture and design know about it? Maybe it's just in our DNA. Oh, wait, it is. Um, <laughs> because in our DNA, they have noticed that between two sides of the DNA, you can actually, they've drawn this golden rectangle inside of the DNA, and it fits perfectly. Your face um, actually follows this, and it, go, it, gets, it just deepens and deepens, guys, okay? Because if you take your arm, and there is a Da Vinci drawing as well, but we're just going to be like this. Um, <laughs> if you take your arm and measure from your shoulder, okay, out to your fingers, okay, there are all kinds of this 1 to 1.6 ratio. So if we go from my shoulder out to my wrist, we get a 1 to my elbow and a 1.6 to my wrist. If we go from my elbow out to my furthest fingertip, we get a 1.6 and a 1. If we do it from the, the wrist to the fingertip, we get a 1.6 and a 1, and you can do your finger. Titus didn't believe me earlier today, and he measured himself, and it worked. So <laughs> he's a very proportional man. Um, but pretty amazing stuff. Uh, so all the way through from nature up to, you know, designs and DNA, but it's something that for, if you look at it like from the sunflower point of view, the sunflower is trying to spread seeds out. And it could do one here, and then one here, and one here, and one here. It'd get two lines. Maybe it did four. One, 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 one. It'd get four lines. What's the most efficient way a sunflower could develop its seeds? It actually happens to be in this perfect spiral. So 
it seems to be everywhere. They call it the golden ratio, the divine proportion. Um, some people have even pointed out, this is a little Indiana Jones moment, that the Ark of the Covenant in the Bible, actually they have the cubics of what they were told to do it by, and it is the golden ratio, and so is Noah's Ark. Anyway, um, pretty deep stuff. So next time you're like, Psh, who needs math? Okay, it's kind of like a hummingbird being like, Psh, who needs feathers? Okay. <laughs> It is in you. So remember, math, it's not just good, it's golden. Thank you. All right. All right. And now, introducing Roger Billings. And we're here tonight. Hooray, 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 hooray. Welcome, everyone. Uh, you know, it'd be kind of fun if we could start out tonight dramatically. Um, some of my people <laughs> have been thinking and making observations and studying Peget and her people. Yeah. Yeah. And we've come up with some really, really interesting observations that I'm really excited to tell you about tonight. Uh, but to start off such a significant announcement, I'm going to need Tobias to come back up here. Tobias, would you mind coming back up to the podium? Uh, as you know, Tobias has many gifts, doesn't he? He does. He many, does. many gifts. And uh, one of his gifts is he can throw his voice into strange modes. He can be anybody he wants to impersonate, right? <laughs> well, tonight, I want you to be that guy that does all the movie trailers. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? And I'd like a movie trailer style announcement of Peugeot the okay. Alien. Let's see what you got. Okay, get ready for this, guys. Camera on Mr. Tobias. And then right after, camera on Peugeot. <laughs> ready? In fact, let's practice camera on Peugeot. Camera on. Camera on Peugeot. Camera on. She's focusing, focusing. Now, there she is. Can we zoom in a little bit more? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> zoom. That's good. That's good. You look at the red light. Always look at it. the red light. That's the right camera. Okay, back to Tobias. Okay, here we go. Do we have one? Yeah. Let's see what he's got. Across the vast of space, no one saw her coming. But then she came. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Peugeot. Thank you. That was perfect. Because you see, we think we now have more information, and we're going to be running a test tonight to find wow. out. Have all of you heard the news? <laughs> we have a visitor to our, our solar system. It's a new comet, and it should be visible to the naked eye within the next week. Wow. Two at the tops. And it's up in the Big Dipper, so... Keep watching for it. Within the next week, you should be able to see it. It's called Atlas. 
has a real fancy scientific name, something like uh, Comet 19 or something, I don't know. <laughs> but it's going to be coming, and then it'll get brighter and brighter and brighter, and some scientists are excited. Oh, yeah? They are wondering, they think this is going to be the brightest comet, comet in decades. And that's kind of exciting. Wow. Now, oh, there it is. And there it is. Can you see it? There, that's what it looks like right now. But to see it, you're probably going to need to have a telescope or binoculars. And as it gets really brighter and brighter, especially into May, they're saying it's going to be so bright that it might even be able to be seen during the day. That's amazing. We haven't, I don't think we've had a comet like that since 1844, which is pretty amazing. This comet has not been by the earth for 4,000 years. Did you know that there's only two people alive that were alive 4,000 years ago? <laughs> it was me and one other guy. <laughs> but at any rate, in May, we're expecting this comet is going to look green. And let's look at it again. Here it is in its greenness. And it's going to be getting long tails. It gets close to the sun, the solar wind, pushes it out. Now, comets are usually snowballs, balls of frozen water, and the sun, the solar wind pushes the tail out, and the light from the sun lights it up, and they can become very long tails and very beautiful. I'm personally ready for a very bright comet. When I was young, I had a little star book, and I would read it, and it, it talked about comets. And one of the comets it talked about was Halley's Comet. And how amazing, how bright, how beautiful Halley's Comet was. And then they said what year it would come back again. And it was like, oh man, it's not for decades. But I'm going to wait for that. I can hardly wait to see this super bright comet. And then a few years ago it came. It was like Dudville. <laughs> it was... So dim, what a disappointment. Everybody thought, this is going to be yeah, so great. <laughs> and so now, ever since Halley's Comet dudded out, <laughs> we've been waiting for something really bright and exciting, and it looks like it's finally here. It's exciting. Comet Atlas. Yeah. Yep. Now, some people think the comets are more than just a snowball. In fact, mm -hmm. some people think... Maybe they're an alien vessel. Yeah, we do. And some of us <laughs> have been thinking about all the possibilities. What if on this comet were Peugeot's people? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and that's why we have this special button. We have a button. We have a button. This button is a special people-detecting button. Seriously, we have if a button. If there is an alien race... When we push this button, we should be able to tell. Now that's frightening. It's not. Why, are you afraid to be found out? <laughs> yeah. I well, didn't know we are bringing buttons. You can't come to a scientific laboratory without being discovered and found out. So I'm going to push this button, and I want you to watch very close. If there is any alien tissue, oh, then you should be able to see a reddish-orange glow or something like that if this works. And it should work because it's been scientifically designed. Where will we see it? 
we'll, we'll sit right here on uh, Science Live. Okay, are you ready? Are you guys ready to try this? Any questions? So look for any hint of red or orange, okay? On three. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> Did That's anybody not see anything? Fair. Let's try it again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> One last time. Okay, I'm not telling <laughs> you. know what? That I, is not. I didn't cool. say anything. Did you guys? <laughs> All right, well, we'll work some more not on that. Not expecting that. But That's get ready fair. for the comment. Now, guess what I have got here? That's a mask. This is not a mask. Oh, it's not a mask. This is a personalized, decorated mask. A designer mask. <laughs> exactly. Oh. A designer mask. This is something I invented. In fact, my mother didn't even know I was an artist. Can they see it? I don't think can, they can should, see should it. Should we do a tight on this so yeah, they can see they can what see an it. amazing art? There, oh, oh, there, oh, there, there it comes. There it goes. There it goes. There it comes. Okay, I'll tell you what. Can Closer. you see it right there? Closer. Can you see the blue, the red? I mean, it's really beautiful. It's got these beautiful little straps so you can tie it around your head. It's an amazing <laughs> thing. Now, this is kind of serious, actually. We've been fighting this virus. In this country and all over the world, we've been fighting this virus. And you know what? We've been fighting viruses and infections for a very long time. Little masks can make such a difference when you're up against a virus. And I've been thinking a lot about this. I, I think we're starting to see our society, our nation, get a little bit ahead of this virus. And they're now predicting that it's going to peak out in the next couple of weeks and, and it's going to start going away and goodbye, mm -hmm. right? But we've had the flu for year after year after year. And the flu, the plain old garden variety flu, the flu we get every flu season, is so much worse than this COVID virus so far in terms of the number of people that have gotten really sick and even the number of people that died. The flu has been really, really terrible. We have found that we can slow down and even stop this new coronavirus by being careful how we transmit it to each other. And did you know that exactly the same techniques will work with the garden variety flu, which actually turns out to even be worse? The thing about the coronavirus is it seems to spread very fast. But interestingly, the way that it spreads is when people sneeze or cough and they put out these little teeny small, small droplets of water that have the virus in them and someone else breathes them in. If people would just wear a mask when they have the flu or when they have the coronavirus, well, then it would stop it from spreading. I've been watching the news reports and over in China where this thing started and where it was so bad at first before they realized what it was, they've got it under control now. And they did it by doing what we're doing, by slowing down these gatherings, but also by wearing masks. South Korea, they've done an amazing job. Now that city where it all started is starting to operate again. They've opened up their subway but people are wearing masks. 
And I'd just like to say tonight that if our nation would learn a simple procedure, I think we could stop a lot of the suffering from this virus and from the flu and from other things. And the way that works is when you have a fever, that's your body telling you that it's fighting some kind of an infection. And when you have a fever but you're also sneezing or coughing, it's time to do something about it. And if everybody would do that, we would absolutely cut down on the amount of illness in our country. And, you know, uh, we don't like wearing masks. I was just thinking, boy, you never get Americans to wear those, but maybe this virus is getting us to wear. If you go into the hospital now, before they'll even let you in, they're going to check your temperature to see if you have an infection. And whether you have a temperature or not, they're going to make you put on a mask before you go in the hospital for fear that you may give any germs you have to someone else and for fear that germs that are in the hospital may get into you. These little masks are going to be very, very important in our future. And I hope one thing we're learning from this outbreak is that nobody that has a fever and is coughing or sneezing should be out without one. I remember going on an airplane during the flu season, flu season a couple of years ago, and someone right behind me was coughing, coughing, coughing. They can't help it. When you get sick, you have to cough. And I thought, oh, no, oh, no, and I got the flu. And I believe I got it because not that person necessarily wanted to, but they let me. If that person had been wearing a mask, or if I'd had a mask to put on, which I would have, I don't think I would have got it. So maybe we ought to be designing designer masks. I just think we could make them so neat that people wouldn't mind having them in their bag or in their purse so that if they got sick or if someone start coughing around and they can just kind of put it on. Wouldn't that be neat? Mm -hmm. Now this beautiful one that I designed. They this, like it by the this way. This designer mask that I made mm -hmm. as we were waiting to get started here tonight I, I turned to Peget and I says Dr. Peget tonight would you be willing to put this mask on and show people how nice masks could look? <laughs> and you know what she said to me? It messes up your hair. <laughs> I obviously have How been wearing could them. this mask going on her mess up my hair? <laughs> no, no. It doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense. Okay, well, so what somebody needs to do is figure out how to make a mask that doesn't mess up your hair. So I immediately went to work. And I started thinking, you know, the thing that's messing up her hair is mm -hmm. these little straps. If we could get rid of the straps, it wouldn't mess up her hair. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I'm happy to announce tonight that I have invented the second generation designer mask. Oh, yeah. And I would like to show it tonight. Strapless. <laughs> <laughs> and as you can see, this mask has no straps. It's also got picos. If you want to, you can actually wear this over your eyes, too, and protect your eyes. It's pretty nice. What do you wow. think? You like it? <laughs> that won't mess my hair up, will it? How will it stay on? Well, actually, 
I saved the best for last. The secret is green. Green. Do you get it? I don't get it. You don't get green? Green. You all get green, don't you? Well, the secret is green. <laughs> wow. Close up, please. There it comes. Doing. See? Isn't that great? It's Look, green. Look, it has an attitude. It's a yeah. See that? Yeah. That's in case any bad words come out, you know, we just shut yeah. them right up. <laughs> okay, so okay. what I would like now Can we put it would on? be for Dr. Peget to try this mask on that will not mess up her hair. There you go. But how to, okay. Okay, here we go. Here we go. That's good. It's looking good. Oh, that looks nice on her, eyes. doesn't it? Look at that. Yeah. Oh, that's better. <laughs> okay, but, but I'm, work. I'm actually see. really, really yeah. serious about these Don't masks. No, but I would like to say that uh, there are some masks that just have little ear straps. Yep. Those are the really neat ones. And I noticed something on the news yesterday. They were showing uh, a news report over in China where they had the subway back in gear where the people were coming back out after being in their homes for two months. And the masks that they were wearing were really neat ones. Huh. They were colored, and they looked really slick, and they just go over your ears so they don't mess up your hair. And I think we should be inventing some really, really neat masks, and I think we ought to use them. I think there's no reason for us to ever have an outbreak like this again. Mm -hmm. If we had all had masks, and when people started getting sick and they got a fever and they started sneezing and coughing, if everybody had used those masks, yep. our nation wouldn't have been stopped. Those masks cost almost nothing to produce. Mm -hmm. And we are spending not millions, not billions, but trillions of dollars to fight this thing. And if I did my math correctly, these recovery bills that we just had to pass in Washington to help our economy survive this attack of this virus equate to about $60,000 per family. That's a lot of money. And to think we could stop it with a little mask. Just realize that these germs are only really a problem when they spread around. If you happen to catch the virus, then go get better. Mm -hmm. I learned a long time ago in my own personal life that when I get a fever and when I start getting congested or coffee or sick, if I will doctor up and go get extra rest, stay home, that I get better a lot faster. If you just keep going because you're so determined, first of all, you feel terrible. Everybody thinks, oh, he's a grouch. <laughs> and uh, it just seems to string on and on and on and on for weeks. If you stop and doctor up and take care of it. And how do you doctor up? Well, there are a lot of ways. Uh, some people are saying, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know, but they're saying that uh, Tylenol is maybe, maybe better for this because it may keep you from getting so congested in your lungs. But I do know vitamins, minerals, they're saying a lot of good things about minerals. 
and you can just get little vitamins that have minerals in them, I think it's good to have them. But the best thing is good diet, plenty of rest, good exercise, and you can fight this thing. Mm -hmm. I like that mask. I could have worn it the other day. Yes, in fact, give it to I'm me? going to make this <laughs> My souvenir? a gift to you, but don't wear it until you need it. Okay. Well, does anybody else want it? No. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of people out there. I think it's for me. <laughs> but if we'd had masks, they would all be here. I know. Okay, so that's good. Now, we had some, some people last week that were really concerned because my hydrogen bottle was broken. I know. Can we kind of zoom in on this a little bit? Concerned. And I don't know if you can see. Can you see that big crack in my bottle? Focus, focus. Turn it. There oh, you, you can see it a little bit. All right, well, I want to let you know, no, thank you for being concerned, but my hydrogen bottle is not broken. This is actually the prototype before we put them in production, and that's actually a little flower that is etched in there as a decoration. So it's not broken. <laughs> it works. It's mm -hmm. good stuff. Behind. Behind? <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> to life. Literally, two lines. Yes, hydrogen. Okay, good. So that brings us up to date on those things. Now, we've got to say something about Fibonacci numbers, we don't do. we? Fibonacci numbers cause all kinds of neat things. We could talk hours and hours and hours about Fibonacci numbers. Did you know that if you measured the distance from the sun to Mercury and multiplied it by that magic number, 1.6, you would have the distance from the sun to Venus. If you measure Venus and multiply that times 1.6, you get the distance to Earth. And from Earth, you do Mars, and you go clear on out, and then all of a sudden, there's one place it doesn't work. You calculate where there ought to be a planet, and there's not one. But that's the asteroid belt. That's where all those little teeny, teeny, teeny chunks are like a planet blew up or it never formed. Isn't that interesting? I find that really interesting. So there's something about this that is really, really interesting. Uh, what does it mean? Well, it means different things to different people, but it is very, very interesting. I uh, shared with you before a story about a Dr. Santiago down in uh, Belo Horizonte, Brazil. And this is a guy that spent a large part of his life studying the paintings by Leonardo da Vinci. Now, when I said that the distance from one planet to the next is 1.6 the one before, it isn't exactly that, but it's pretty close. What he did is he actually took the distances of these orbits and he applied them to radiuses he saw in the paintings of Leonardo da Vinci. And he found the orbits of the known planets in those paintings. Now, Leonardo lived 500 years ago. It was back in a time when there weren't computers yet. A lot of the science we enjoy today didn't exist yet. And yet a lot of really, really amazing discoveries were happening, and in fact, uh, Mr. Da Vinci was one of the guys that made a lot of the discoveries, and he was very interested in, in many, many things. 
it is interesting that when he lived, the church at that time, the Roman Catholic Church, was very powerful, and they had some old world views about things like the church and science. And they did not like science saying things that they thought didn't support their teachings and, and beliefs. And so da Vinci couldn't just come out and say everything that he thought. For example, uh, <clears throat> a guy named Galileo found out that it wasn't a good idea to announce that the sun's the center of our solar system and that the earth goes around the sun because some of the early thinkers in the church thought the earth was the center of the solar system. It had to be. And so Galileo kind of got in trouble and ended up under house arrest because he said what eventually turned out to be true. So just think what that would be like if you were a scientist and you were discovering a lot of things about science, but you couldn't say it because the government or a church or something was so powerful and they wouldn't let you. What do you do? You're so excited about what you invented and you want to tell the world, but you can't. What do you do? And according to my friend, Dr. Santiago, da Vinci hid his findings in his paintings. Now, if you, if you study the, the Mona Lisa painting and you look at a, a really good photograph, which you can find all over the Internet, it's considered to be the most famous, probably the most valuable painting in the world, you can see that on this woman's forehead, one of her hairs is out of place and goes across her forehead. That seems kind of strange that an artist would paint one of the hairs out of place. You think an artist could kind of help her get it back up on her head, you know, <laughs> fix her hairdo, but he didn't. He painted it on her forehead. And if you look at the curvature of that hair, that's one of the orbits. And if you follow it, it goes off her head, and then it becomes some of the background behind her in the painting. And then it comes down, and she's got her hands, and it picks up the same curvature. And you look in there, and you see the ratio of those curvatures, and they're the ratios of the distance from the sun to the different planets. Santiago says he knew what was going on with these planets. And this was his way of making sure everybody knew that he knew because he just couldn't come right out and say it. And you know, it's pretty compelling. And it's not just the Mona Lisa. You go through his other painting, and there it is. It's kind of fascinating, isn't it? Uh, a scientist is a person that is looking for truth. When you're doing a research project and you're making experiments to try and find out the truth, sometimes the results aren't what you wanted. Sometimes they come back and it's not spectacular or exciting, like you were hoping. And if you fudge just a little bit and cheat on the data, then maybe it looks really exciting. But if you fudge, if you cheat on the data, then there will never be a result from it because it's not real. A scientist 
that is successful is devoted to reporting the results of the experiment, whether they be accurate, what, excuse me, whether it be what he wants or, or what he or she doesn't want. In other words, you follow the truth in science. And that is really one of the beautiful keys to science, is that it is the search for truth. The scientific method is a way to be able to discover truth that maybe you can't see. Uh, so many of our experiments are about how we measure something that you can't measure with a yardstick or a ruler or, or anything of that nature. Things like the speed of light or the distance to another planet or what is in the core of the earth. Things that are very hard to know, but they figure out experiments that let's see it. Why are you smiling? Or what's in my mind. Huh? Are you communicating <laughs> with your people? I am. I'm thinking about them, thinking what we're going to do. <laughs> I'm planning it. <laughs> Plan it. Did you say plan I'm it? Planning it. Okay. I'm planting it. <laughs> well, I, I think that Leonardo da Vinci had a lot of information. And it's kind of an interesting story. You know, he, he painted quite a few paintings. You think he was a character? Do you think that some people didn't like him? Well, I liked him. Well, I do too. <laughs> but I like characters, so I wonder. Well, he is certainly an interesting personality. But I think there's an interesting story about the Mona Lisa. You know, like I said a minute ago, it's one of the most valuable paintings on Earth, probably the most valuable. And recently they found a painting and someone said, I think that's uh, a Da Vinci painting, and they went through this big study to figure it out, and then it sold for a ton of money. And uh, I did the math, it's 500 years old, if it really is a uh, Da Vinci painting, and they, they're pretty sure it is. It sold for a half million dollars a year. Just think of that. It was, and, and it's some unknown new painting, but the Mona Lisa is more valuable. The Mona Lisa is only about this big. Yeah, it's not and big. it's hanging in the Louvre, which mm -hmm. is the famous art museum in Paris. But it's interesting that it didn't used to be that famous. I mean, all of da Vinci's paintings were kind of famous, but the Mona Lisa wasn't that famous. It was just one of his paintings until something happened. Do you know what happened to make it so famous? Well, there was a guy they brought in to put glass over the front of the paintings in the Louvre. It was a guy that they brought in from Italy. And so he was putting glass in front of them all. And he noticed that some of the best art in the Louvre, some, not all, but some of the best art in the Louvre was from Italy. And he thought, we need to get this art back to Italy because he was an Italian. And so he put glass over the Mona Lisa to protect it. And then one night, he went in, took the glass off, and stole the painting and went walking out of the museum. Well, a month passed, three months passed, six months passed, and it made headlines all over the world. Da Vinci painting has been stolen. One of the most valuable paintings is missing from the Louvre. And as I remember the story, it was about two years that this guy had the painting 
stored in his little closet at home. And then eventually, he took it back to Italy. And expecting to be a great hero, he took it to a museum in Italy so that it could come home to Italy where it was born. <laughs> and they arrested him and put him in jail for stealing this painting. And then Italy returned the Mona Lisa to France where it belonged but they returned it by way of visiting all these cities in Italy for art exhibits <laughs> on its way home. Thank you, know, you, thank you, thank you. Only because it was an Italian painting. After this big fanfare of being stolen and it's missing and why and what happened to everybody knew about it, and then it became the painting with this amazing legend. That it really is interesting. It's interesting it that it has this Fibonacci sequence in it. It also has the divine proportion that you can see in there. Do we have a picture that zooms way in on her face that so we can see that hair I was talking about? If not, we could just kind of ruffle your hair a bit. If we can find one that shows it, it's really kind of interesting because when you really look at it, like I only did after Dr. Santiago pointed out to me, you really can tell it was put there on purpose. There was a reason for it, and it's very, very fascinating to know what it was. It's kind of hidden in plain sight, though, because you don't see it immediately. Yeah, if, you, you if you're not really looking for it, you don't notice it. And if you don't see the other things in here, are we able to find something? Now, can we zoom in somehow on uh, her forehead? Zoom, go. zoom, 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 more, 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 more. See, you can see it across there a little bit. And if you look at a real clear photograph, you see that little line going across there? It's hair. And it really does uh, pick up a, a radius. Now, can you uh, pan over on the side and down? And over, now go to the side. Yeah. Oh, right there. Well, it's, it's kind of hard. Over to her left, zoom in. Zoom, 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 zoom again. And there we go. All right, the left of her body, way over there and up higher. Here we are driving around by a remote. It's like flying a drone. Keep going up and up and up and up. Okay, well, can you see that curve in there? A little curve in the background. There are these lines that if you really study this, and Santiago has them all drawn out. Someday I'll have to show you a picture of that. Well, then it has a very, very interesting story in it. Now, Santiago had a theory, and his theory was that the reason that people love the art of Leonardo da Vinci is because it has the divine proportion in there. And although we don't know that, when we look at it, it creates a harmony in our minds, so we fall in love with it. And so to prove his theory, he created 24 paintings. He, Santiago, who was a painter, scientist, and who's also a medical doctor, but he made these paintings, and he had an art exhibit built in front of his his luxury home there on uh, Rua Alfonso Pena in Belo Horizonte. And he invited all of the people from the public to come in and see these paintings. Half of them he hid the divine proportion in, and half he just did random. And then they were given these little programs, and they were supposed to vote which ones they really liked. And his hope was that people would all choose the ones with the divine proportion, and he would prove that that's why da Vinci's, 
Da Vinci's paintings were so amazing, but it didn't work. When they voted, they just voted half and half, and there was no way that they could tell which ones were special. And that happened six months before I met him. And he was very, very crushed. He had this art museum. He had this big book he had written. He had all these Da Vinci drawings and all these paintings. And now the project he spent 20 years on was going up in flames. I mean, it, it didn't work. It just the theory was broken. And I went in there, and he was telling me all about it, and he was pretty unhappy. And he showed me the paintings, and I looked at them, and I couldn't tell which ones had it and which ones didn't. I tried. And uh, so I was sympathetic. And he and I became friends. I went back to see him a few times. And on like the third or fourth visit, I noticed that one of the paintings started to really catch my attention. It was like I started to really like it, and I hadn't really that much before. And so I told him, you know what? Have you ever thought that this divine proportion in the paintings is something that people have to get used to? Maybe they have to see it several times before they can pick up on it. And he said, that's a brilliant idea. So then he did a study where he invited people in once a week for 12 weeks. And then he let them vote on them. They'd study all the paintings. He let them vote. And then he got a very high percent that had the divine proportion. And he was so excited. And so uh, he told me he was very grateful to me for pointing out this idea. <laughs> of course, I was... Uh, pretty young, still pretty young, but I was pretty younger then. And so pretty he younger. said, I'm going to reward you by making a painting of you using the divine proportion. And he did. And I have it. First, he put all of the divine proportion marks on the page, and I've got a copy of that with no me on it. And then he started painting me in on it. Didn't he put the planets in there? Well, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I didn't bring it today, but I'm gonna bring it and show yeah. you this painting. But the interesting thing is when he got all done, I looked like one of Peugeot's people. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> I, came, I did not know that. No, I came out kind of looking like an alien. You'll see it, it's kind of scary. <laughs> That's why I don't talk much about it. We are definitely gonna have to Show you but all these that. are our guys, so I think we should bring a photograph of that and show them. But the fascinating that. thing is, what if one of Leonardo's discoveries was that by putting these special ratios in the picture, it makes people feel it better? There is something magical about the Fibonacci numbers and this golden ratio. It shows up in nature so much for a lot of reasons, and many people have tried to explain it. Some say it's proof of a creator. Some people say, well, it's proof of natural selection. Some people say it's not proof of anything. I say it's very interesting. There's something there, and whenever there's something there, I like to, I like to know more. I do think that understanding numbers empowers us to do many things, and I'm thrilled that, uh, well, 
the schools are closed, you guys are still studying diligently and preparing yourselves for great futures and great careers. Keep it up. So we have some students wondering again where they can get your hydrogen water bottles. I don't know. GoSellus.com. Yeah, page. actually we've got some left in the store. We're running out, by the mm -hmm. way, so we don't have very many more, but uh, we'll, we'll probably make another batch. Uh, I am very grateful for the people that have been sending me feedback. Mm -hmm. I've had positive and negative feedback, and I'm real interested, and in, I'm kind of doing a science experiment out of it. I didn't invent these bottles, uh, but I did help develop the hydrogen generator technology that's used in them which I use to refuel my cars. And a lot of people are, are making these bottles now. There's a lot of different brands. Uh, I tried to take the best of the best and, and make this particular bottle. But uh, this idea of drinking water that's had hydrogen bubbled through it is quite an interesting idea. And there's more and more literature coming out about how uh, some people say that it could have positive health benefits. One thing that no one seems to dispute is that drinking plenty of water is good for us, mm -hmm. whether it's hydrogen bubbled or just, you know, all water is made of hydrogen. Uh, doesn't seem to matter so much, but it, it really has been fun, and I, I drink twice as much water as I did before. And it isn't just because it's fun, it's when I drink the hydrogen water, it isn't so heavy on my stomach. It settles better, and I think it's because the pH is a little higher from the hydrogen ions. But anyway, so it's in the Acela store, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's the only place that, that I have them is in the Acela store. And remember, if you do decide to try one, uh, they're not cheap. Uh, but if you uh, get them with the uh, Dr. B code, then you get them at about what it costs me to make them. Uh, try them out. If you do try them out and you notice any benefits or problems, please let me know, okay? I really appreciate it. So, Dr. Monet, would this be a good time for you to try on the mask? Mm -hmm. I was wearing one earlier today. I, I like the one with the eyes. With the eyes. Just when you hold it up to your eyes, it was really, it was really nice. <laughs> and there it is. There it is. That's going to save the world from the coronavirus right there. But remember that, and remember that this virus is a little germ, a viral germ, mm -hmm. and uh, we can stop it just by not spreading it. Right. And I think we really ought to learn from this to be more careful when we have a fever, a sneeze, and a cough, be a little bit more careful. Wash your hands aggressively. And wash your hands. Yeah, tell them how to wash their hands. So you get your hands wet, you put soap on, turn the water off, you wash. And what, if you imagine putting little holes in the little germs, then you'll do a really good job. Yep, wash off. Ah, ah, <laughs> yeah. No, but it's, it's really and funny because some people, they put soap on their hands and, and they immediately rinse it off and then they rinse it for 20 seconds. <laughs> Bad. And it might be better if you rub them for, lather them and let them rub for 20 seconds yeah. and then rinse. And they, they say you don't even have to have germicidal soap. Nope. If you just have anything that will foam up 
and you rub it for 20 seconds that it actually is very effective mm -hmm. at destroying the germs. And yeah. so if you cough, you sneeze, you do anything, under, wash your hands often. And, uh, you know, good, clean hygiene prevents sickness. That's one of the things that our modern society has learned uh, for many decades, and we ought to follow it. And when something contagious like this goes around, then especially we should do it. Um, infectious disease, according to a report I read this week, is responsible for 26% of the deaths on this earth. 26%. And that's not even counting this year. That's what it's been for a long time. If you realize that, well then this is just another infectious disease and we can do a lot to prevent sickness, illness from infectious diseases by good hygiene. I don't think we need to become germophobic. I mean, where we can't do anything because we're afraid, what if there's a germ there? And, you know, one of the, the great scientists uh, was Howard Hughes. He was a great pioneer in aviation, but according to the stories about his life, he'd become so afraid of germs, he wouldn't even leave his house. And that's, that's carrying it maybe too far. But what we ought to do, I think, is we ought to learn that when you have a fever and when you're sneezing and coughing, out of the courtesy of those around you, put on a mask, and if at all possible, stay home and get better. Okay? Thank you. So one quick thing. One quick thing. Yeah, I wondered what you thought about the suggestion of maybe um, coming up with some challenges and then putting it out for some of our students. I think it would be fun to have some challenges. Some challenges? Yeah like designing the neatest masks. Yeah, something like that. I think it would be really fun to design some really clever masks, and I think we ought to figure out clever ways to make them stay on. I like the thing around the mm -hmm. ears, but wouldn't it be fun to have masks become really popular because it will prevent a lot of sickness. Mm -hmm. It could have prevent this whole big monster thing if we had something like that, yeah. and if we would be willing to wear them, it'd be really cool. And maybe we can figure out ways that people, or reasons people should wear them. For example, if you could build a uh, cell phone into it, or <laughs> like those nose buds. That yeah, John like John, Johnny's about. nose buds. Oh. But but I really think that making mm -hmm. some really neat masks is is a good idea. Mm -hmm. uh, we are going forward with the science fair, oh. and I hope that you're still working on that. Our science fair is kind of neat because we're accommodating people all over the country and even around the world. And so you'll be able to post these on, uh, on the internet and still be judged and still be able to attend without needing to, to travel. So I hope while you're getting a little extra time from some of your other activities that you're doing your science oh, projects. Yeah. What's the deadline on that? April. It's April. April. It's April 1st today. Yay. I like April. Are you fooling? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't. Do um, <laughs> the deadline for science fair entries is, I think, April 15th. Oh, no, that's IRS day, but we moved it back. Right? July. <laughs> April 28th, so you got this month. Perfect time to do a science fair project. And that would be a challenge I would give everybody. Mm -hmm. And remember, there's, uh, in some of our earlier lectures, we talked a little bit about that. Uh, science fairs are a great way to develop your gifts and your talents. 
edition that you might win a good prize. We're giving some of these out for science fair prizes and others. So get to work. Okay. okay? Right. Stay, stay healthy. Bye. Bye. Thank you all for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week. Have a great night.